Welcome to you. What's your name? Edward Bloom. Hmm. Bloom like a flower? Yes. Oh, here. Here you are right here. Edward Bloom. Hmm. We weren't expecting you yet. You were expecting me? Not yet. You must have taken a shortcut. Why, yeah, yes, I did. It, it almost killed me. Mm, life will do that to you. And truthfully, the long way is easier. But it's longer. Much longer. And you're here now, and that's what matters. Hi, everybody. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. We opened up with that clip from a movie, Big Fish. You know what? I just think it's a. I just think it's a, a fitting piece. You know, the long way is easier, but it's longer. You know, those of uh, those of us out there that are entrepreneurs and risk takers, you get there faster, but it almost kills you. So uh, hey, you know you can't you can't demonize the people that actually uh, take uh, stick their stick their heads out and uh, wait for them to get chopped off and accidentally get uh, get successful sometimes. So anyway, we've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about today. But first, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender, located here in Southern California. Offices all over the place, lending in California, Arizona, Ohio, Texas. And I think we got license in Florida today. I'm not sure, but uh, that's coming. Florida and Nevada also coming up. Uh, if you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities out there that are real estate, you need financing. Call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you, don't, if you want to talk to me, but you don't want to talk on the phone, because you're stealing time from your boss and you don't want your neighbors to hear your stuff. Go to www.wccloans.com. Click on looking for a loan. Click on apply now. Give me as much information as you want and tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates, Alex Rojas, Eric Marquez, Cody Bradbury, Aaron Fredericks, or Randy Johnson, and we'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Whether you're looking to buy or looking to refinance something you already own or whether you're looking to check out the one of them uh, reverse mortgage things that everybody's talking about, if you're over 62, Call us, we'll dial you in. Um, if you hear something you want repeated, you can get the podcast on edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.net. Uh, click on the podcast page. You can hear this show as well as several past shows, as well as you can get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. So uh, if you want to follow us uh, on Twitter, at Ed Hoffman, uh, the, the Facebook is the, the main event. Facebook.com slash the main event, Ed Hoffman. If you want to leave comments on the show, 855 640 2092. So I try to get through that as fast as we can because I got people to introduce with me as uh, what it's been about a month since you've been in here with me. It has. It okay. has. Scott McAfee, proprietor of Don, Don's Bikes and the second most uh, uh, legitimate, um, popular <laughs> political commentator on uh, on the radio. There you go. Thanks, Ed. It's great to be here. All right. And so, uh, so we have a special show. We got a special guest on this week. Uh, you may know him as, from previous affiliation with the Young Turks Network or his various shows on Sirius XM Radio. More recently, you may know him as creator and host of The Rubin Report, the largest talk show about free speech and big ideas on YouTube. I'm talking about, of course, Dave Rubin, who interviews uh, thought leaders, thought leaders, authors, comedians, and politicians every week, and is the leader of a fascinating movement we'll, we'll ask him about. Dave Rubin, welcome to the main event. 
Hey, it's good to be with you guys. All right, so uh, I have to admit, I'm not always plugged into the various movements happening online, and I'm sure there are many in our audience that who aren't either. You're known as a leader of the intellectual dark web, which sounds to me like something sinister, but actually has a very enlightened purpose. So for those of, of, of us out there who don't know, what is the intellectual dark web? Who are the big players in the movement besides you and Ben Shapiro? And what are the ideas about? Yeah, well, if you like groupthink and uh, you like stagnation of ideas and you like political correctness, then, uh, then this group is quite sinister because we're against all of those things. I mean, basically, the, the phrase intellectual dark web uh, was brought up, originally conjured by Eric Weinstein, who is uh, a mathematician and economist who works over at Teal Capital. And uh, it, it, the idea behind it, I mean, the name dark web and intellectual dark web was a little tongue in cheek from the beginning. His point was that when people think of the dark web, they think of people that are selling drugs or body parts or whatever else it is that are, people are doing on the shady parts of the internet. Uh, but what had happened, because mainstream has become uh, so politically correct and so really uh, so dumbing. I mean, I think that's really the best word for it, that if you turn on CNN or you turn on mainstream news, you're not getting news. You're getting you're getting pundits in tiny little clips that are not offering you any sort of intellectual nurturing They're They're just offering you the same old talking points. And you will not feel smarter when you watch. You will not have a thought that really can get to its volition when you watch these shows. And you'll mostly see people screaming at each other. And out of that, what was born in, say, the last five or so years, mostly on YouTube, but also on audio podcasts, was a group of people that include uh, Eric Weinstein, who I just mentioned, his brother, Brett Weinstein, who was a professor up at Evergreen State College until he decided to tell the university that they shouldn't discriminate based on the color of skin. Uh, and then he was uh, eventually he and his wife lost their job, Heather Hying, who I also include in this group. Uh, there's people like neuroscientist Sam Harris. Uh, there's people like uh, one of the original uh, feminists, Christina Hoff Summers, uh, you know, the, the brilliant and amazing and, and uh, almost otherworldly brave Ayan Hirsi Ali and her husband, Neil Ferguson, who's a uh, historian. I mean, it's, it's a wide group of people from all over the political map. And what, what defines us, I think, in, in this loosely based way, oh, and I should mention, of course, it includes Ben Shapiro, who you mentioned, and of course, Jordan Peterson. Um, who might be the biggest of everybody, who's a, a clinical psychologist out of, out of Canada, who uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that I'm on tour with him right now, um, who is really just telling people to fix their lives. And if you can fix your life first, you can then fix the world. But basically, this group is a hugely diverse group of people who are willing to have conversations about often difficult topics and willing to agree to disagree. We've got people that are progressives and want high taxes. We've got libertarians. We've got classical liberals. We've got, you know, religious people like Shapiro. We've got, you know, leaders of the atheist movement like Sam Harris. And basically, we're willing to dive into all of these issues, treat each other with respect, agree to disagree. And I think by just doing what seemed right and, and what seemed natural and sane, uh, suddenly this this thing just blew up and uh, and it's really become a, a cultural movement and and it's pretty cool. It almost seems like uh, Scott and I should be on there. <laughs> well, I don't know if we so qualify. Do, <laughs> so do we have to be can, honest? You can submit your resumes at my website. There do, you go. Do we have do we have to have like a, a membership a number <laughs> and a secret handshake or something? 
You get a laminated card. <laughs> all right, all right. We're, we'll uh, we'll be forwarding this. Uh, we'll be forwarding the the show over to that for your for your review. So uh, some people uh, some people know you from the videos you've done uh, for Prager University. I encourage everyone to find them on YouTube if you haven't seen them. Uh, but the most famous one you did is "Why I Left the Left," where you talk about your progressive roots. You say that in the video that defending my liberal values has suddenly become a conservative position. Tell us about the moment you realized you didn't want to identify as a liberal anymore. Yeah, well, well, I'm still a liberal in the in the true sense of liberalism, I mean, in the classical sense of liberalism. If if we were having this discussion in the UK, for example, I would still be called a liberal. And liberal, what it means in a modern American sense, people really mean leftist, which is progressive. And really, what that is is that you judge people uh, as groups, not as individuals. And and to me, the the most fundamental aspect of being an American, of being free, is that we are all individuals. I can't judge either one of you by any of, or anyone listening to this, by anything other than your ideas and your actions. If I was to look at you and judge you or think that you should say or think certain things by the basis of your skin color or your sexuality or your gender, that would actually be prejudicial because prejudice, as I always said, it means prejudging. And that's, that's the essence of bigotry, actually. The left in America, unfortunately, has embraced collectivism. It has embraced identity politics, which endlessly judges on, on perceived oppressions. And then it combines these oppressions. These people think that if, you know, if we can take this oppressed class and this oppressed class, and this oppressed class, we can combine them all together into some cohesive unit. But what it does is it creates this sort of oppression Olympics where everybody's always trying to be more oppressed than somebody else because they believe that victimhood is virtue. And victimhood is not virtue. What's virtuous is, especially if you live in a free society, is realizing that life isn't perfect. You will not be given everything, nor should you be given everything. You may have a worse chance than your neighbor. You may have, you know, you, you may have a disability. Your neighbor may, may be in perfect health. You, you may come from a lot of money. Your neighbor may be poor. But everyone has the chance uh, to do that thing that it says in the Declaration of Independence, which is pursue happiness. And unfortunately, the left has really uh, decimated that, um, especially this new crop of democratic socialists, where they think the state is the answer to everything. So you, anything that's a problem, we can tax our way out of it. More taxes for this, more taxes for that. More or, rules. You know, uh, uh, yeah, uh, more you know, rules, they more regulations. It, more rules, more rules and regulations. And, and that, to me, that is never the answer. I will always go to the place that will bring the most individual liberty and freedom. And what we have right now is this new this new class of you know of democratic socialists led by uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio Cortez who think that the government can do everything. I mean, she's never really accomplished anything in her life other than winning office, uh, thanks to the media. But what she wants to sell to everybody is that now now that she's moral. I mean, that's what she says when people say, "Well, your taxes aren't going to pay for these plants." She always talks about morality. And it's very strange. I don't get my morality from the government, and I, and I don't think you guys do. I, I certainly hope you don't. And they, they are on a moral crusade right now, and that's very dangerous. So what I've seen is good old-fashioned liberals who just want to live and let live, uh, a liberal like JFK, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, a liberal like you know Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan or Ed Koch. I mean, these people basically, they're liberals in the classical sense, but they would have far more in common with a moderate conservative or a libertarian than they would with the progressive these days. So I see a very wide tent opening politically for, say, a sort of center-right uh, group of people 
uh, and basically they're united, basically all in opposition uh, to what's become this hysterical progressive movement. And you're doing it with so much less anger than we are. <laughs> well, yeah, no, you well, are. I'm not that angry. No, what's funny, you know, what's funny too is I had a, a sales rep, Ed and I were both business owners. I had a sales rep come into my business and we were just talking about YouTube personalities. And he said, you know who I really like? And I said, well, who's that? He says, I really like Dave Rubin. I said, oh, well, why? He said, because he just seems really fair. You know, when you're interviewing people, when, you're, when you've got your show. And I think that's, that's a fair characterization of you. Well, I, I mean, that's nice to hear. I mean, truly, I don't go into an interview ever. In, in the hundreds, if not thousands of interviews that I've done at this point, I have never gone into an interview with an agenda. I go in, I, you know, I've obviously vetted the person. And if, I, if they're on my show, I find them interesting. They must be saying something for hearing. And I find that if I sit down with somebody and I'm, you know, I'm right across the table from them. And if I look them in the eyes for an hour, that something good will come of it. And if they've got good ideas, those ideas will flourish. And if they've got bad ideas where they don't know what they're talking about, I can sort of watch them wrap the noose around their neck. And, and then their bad ideas get to be examined by the YouTube commenters, who are the worst people on earth, or, or whoever else there is. So it's, you know, I think people are over this idea that you've got to yell at everybody to show them how right you are, that you have to berate and belittle people. Uh, it was just never built into me for whatever reason. But I do think that that actually, it, it, that is a very liberal position. A, a position of agreeing to disagree is, is the best of what liberalism is. And, and I just don't see that anywhere on the left. I mean, show me, show me an acceptance of a, of a lefty who happens to be, uh, let's say, pro-life. There used to be pro-life Democrats. I don't know that I can name one of them anymore. Um, where, where are the Democrats that, um, that are against uh, always raising taxes? I have no idea where they are. They, you know, it's like they've really moved this thing to the extremes. And if you look, if you guys are small business owners, it's like, I don't have to tell you, you want the government to be as least involved in your business as possible. And hopefully, you know how to make the best decisions for your business. And guess what? Sometimes you're going to fail, uh, but then it's on you to fix it. And I think that's how most people want to live. And we've just been tricked to think that only if we had the right people in government, they, could they possibly manage our lives a little bit better, even though most of the horrible things that have done, been done across history have been done by government. Well, that's that's a good point. And I want to I want to circle back too because obviously you've gone through kind of a political evolution and so have I and so has Ed. I mean, I was a registered Democrat at one point. I was pro-choice at one point. Um, now that I'm a parent and I've married to a very conservative Catholic woman who's very pro-life, I've definitely changed my position on that issue. Uh, but I guess I wonder for you, was there a moment though? Was there a, like for me, 9-11 was a huge turning point in the way I thought about things politically. Was there a moment mm -hmm. or an event where it kind of really switched your... Turn, turn the light switch on in a different direction. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple of things. I actually uh, was living in New York City during 9-11. I lived on, on the Upper East. So I was, I was on 90th and 1st, which is sort of the polar opposite of, of downtown uh, where the attacks took place. But I, I mean, I remember that day uh, all the way as far as we were, you know, 100 some odd blocks and across East West Line. Uh, I remember smelling the, the, the soot and, and all of that. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've been through that, um, but that actually wasn't, wasn't the wake up for me specifically. I, I was, a, I think I was already sensitive a little bit to that, to terrorism and, and that sort of thing. The real wake up for me, uh, which I've talked about many times was I was watching real time with Bill Maher and Sam Harris, the neuroscientist who I referenced earlier was on, and they were talking about, um, the difference between religion and people A religion is a set of ideas like a political platform 
or a rule book in the sport or anything else that is allowed to be criticized. You should, of course, you should be able to criticize any set of ideas. That's the most basic fundamental thing that a human can do with their brain. At the same time, you don't want to be bigoted towards people. So in other words, and this is what they were talking about, Sam was saying you can criticize Islam in this case, but that doesn't mean you should be bigoted towards Muslims. You should judge Muslims as individuals like you would judge anyone else. Just because one a Catholic person or Jewish person does a bad thing doesn't mean you should judge all of them like that. Nor if they're, if you know one good, good Christian or good Jew, should you think that they're all good? You have to judge people as individuals. Long story short, what happened was Ben Affleck happened to be on the show that day, and he called Bill Maher and Sam Harris gross and racist. I remember this. Ideas. I remember seeing this. Yeah. yeah. And I watched, I was watching that live on a Friday night, as I had done many years before, and I've always loved Bill Maher. He was my kind of liberal. And I, Sam Harris, I didn't even know who he was at the time. Uh, but I, I watched that moment, and it suddenly crystallized exactly what I had been thinking for a long time, that the left had been replacing nuanced, decent argument in, uh, for just calling everyone a bigot and a racist and a homophobe and a transphobe and everything else. And what happened was, subsequently, over the next few, few days, every article that was written from lefty media places were talking about, is Bill Maher a racist? Is Sam Harris a racist? And I thought, wow, the way you guys are eating your own, who did nothing other than say an uncomfortable truth, an important truth that we should be allowed to talk about, um, you, you guys have turned them into the enemy. You now talk about them the way you talk about all the so-called evil conservatives. And I, I just saw that, that idea of no longer debating on ideas, but everyone who is, say, for low taxes must be racist. Because if you're, if you're for low taxes, that means you don't care about poor people. And if you don't care about poor people, that means you don't care about black people, which, of course, is racist in itself because there's plenty of poor white people. Um, but no matter what you wanted to debate, if, you, if you're pro-life, that means you hate women. They always had this little this little trick to stop debate and make it seem that they were morally right and everyone who opposed them was morally wrong. I think we're seeing the fruits of that right now in, in the media and, and in what's generally going on with the Democrats. And this is exactly what I was warning against uh, for years on my show. I mean, you can watch my show before the election in 2016. And I kept saying, because then I still considered myself part of the left. I kept saying, guys, we've got to clean up our side because we're going to drive people to Trump. And, and that's exactly what happened. So that it's a precursor, I think, in a lot of ways to, to where we're at right now. Um, I saw you at the Ontario Improv recently. I thought you did some really funny stuff. Can you discuss the use of humor and even as a political weapon? Yeah, well, I guess I'll be funny for a second here or something okay. like that. So it's funny because I did stand up in, in New York for about 12 years and I had all the ups and downs of that and worked on the road and had the struggles and I lived that life. And then I came out to L.A. Actually, it's six years ago today that I moved out to L.A., February 1st, and uh, got out here and, and started doing my show on The Young Turks. And then eventually that, that morphed into the interview show that I do now. And my show is not particularly funny. There's funny moments, and sometimes I have comedians on and things like that. But really, it's, a, it's about ideas, and I'm having a nice chat with somebody. And then in the last couple of years, you know, one of the other things that, that I think the left has done here is they've really wrecked comedy that this political correct movement um, has, has caused you can't joke about anybody, you can't say this, this might offend people, you don't want to say this about this gender or this sexuality or whatever else it is. And that sort of forced me to get back into it. And, you know, you, well, you saw it in Ontario, but I'm, I'm doing something that's very different than traditional stand-up. I view it as sort of 
you know, it's half stand-up, half Q&A, it's half road show, it's half town hall. I'm just going into that room and, and having fun with people and getting them to realize we can talk about these serious things, but have some fun. And I give away some stuff and I get people screaming at each other, all, all good natured. And, uh, and it's been great. So I, I did the Irvine Improv this week, sold out 500 seat theater. And it's like, I don't even care about stand up that much anymore. I'm doing it for the right reasons. And when it, when it stops becoming fun, I won't do it again. I'm not, I'm not doing it so that I can, you know, so that the agent in the back can see me and go, Whoa, I'm going to get you on the tonight show. It's like, I, I just don't really care about that. I want people to just come out and enjoy, have a nice night and feel better about sort of the chaos that everyone thinks they're part of right now. Well, one thing, one thing I want to jump into, I know our time's limited with you, but in many ways, I think we're actually freer on talk radio than you are on YouTube. I think that it's amazing that conservatives have really carved out a neat niche for themselves on YouTube. The problem, though, as you know, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, is that tech, you know, is largely owned by the left. And many people are facing your removal, demonetization. Dennis Prager's got, what, 80 videos placed in limited state. He sued, yep. you know, Google, uh, for as far as I can tell, unsuccessfully. And I even thought, as much as I think that lawsuit should have been filed. It, good luck. Good luck suing a company that's probably more powerful than the United States government. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, do you, what your have you experienced this demonetization, this removal uh, on your show? Oh yeah. Well, we heavily went through demonetization. What does that look like year, for right? people that don't know? Like, what you just wake up one day and hey, uh, everything's shut off now. Look at the back end. You know, the sort of insider stuff uh, that only the creator sees on YouTube, but where you upload videos and things. And then they have a bunch of color-coordinated dollar signs that explain whether your video is going to get ads or not get ads or is temporarily barred from ads or a series of other things. And for a good year, we were getting demonetized on almost everything, which is, a, I don't know if to tell you guys as business owners, it's a hard way to run a business when you have no idea what, what your product is going to actually be worth. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we've dealt with plenty of that. You know, there's also issues with are they manipulating the algorithm and are people being unsubscribed from channels and a series of other things that no one, I think, has the clearest answer on what's going on or whether these products are just a little bit faulty or whether there's some rogue um, employees at Google or where, whatever else it is. Uh, but eventually I, I moved over to Patreon, which was a fan platform, and 70% of my company's income uh, was from my fans that were just donating because they liked the ideas. Uh, and as I'm sure you guys know, about a month ago, Patreon uh, banned a guy by the name of Carl Benjamin, Sargon of Akkad, who had said the, he said the N-word off-platform, not even on his own YouTube channel. He said it in a way because he was mocking the alt-right. He was using their language against them. So he was using the word in a way to attack the people who use the word in a racially pejorative sense. And, and Patreon booted him. So uh, Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson and I, we all canceled our Patreon accounts because we felt, you know, somebody's got to stand up to this monster. And, uh, and I'm thrilled to say that I, I moved a huge percentage of my audience uh, to donate over my site, which is DaveRubin.com slash donate if anyone cares. And, and we're doing really well there. And, and I just removed one layer of the middleman. So I think it's one of these things where the ideas that I talk about, about, you know, taking charge of your life and being an individual and not demanding the government do everything. If you if you do that, I think you can come up with some answers yourself, and it's far re more rewarding than having some giant bureaucracy pretend to do good while it usually does nothing good. Right. We we have about a minute left, and I understand that you and Jordan Peterson are trying to create your own sort of Patreon type platform. Is that true? How's that going? And ultimately, is there anybody that you would discriminate against on that platform, or would it be open to anybody? Ah, good question. For a minute to go, um, <laughs> so we are work we. <laughs> We are working on it. Look, it's a huge lift. There's, yes. there's major technological issues. There's major issues related to terms of service. 
you know, and figuring out should everybody be on, can everybody be on, what if the trolls take over, what if it becomes the home of the alt-right, what mm-hmm. if it becomes the home of Antifa. I mean, there's, there's major issues. What I can tell you, actually, right after this today, I've got a meeting with the whole team there. We're building out uh, a technology that I'm pretty impressed with so far. We're having all of the appropriate discussions in terms of ter- terms of service and all that. And to the latter part of your question, if there's someone that I wouldn't let on there, we're, we're discussing that right now because, okay. look, the, the basic idea is that we would we would follow the laws of the United States, in which case, if you don't break the laws of the United States, you could be on the platform. The problem is that the problem is that'll be used against us tremendously, of course, because you'll get all people that that just want to, you know, uh, rain hell on everybody else that'll be there and, and all the racists and all that. And even if we did, even if we wanted to ignore all those people, that, that's what the media would focus on. And they'd make it sound like, you know, we're the home of that. So basically, we realized that we've got a whole big technological and, uh, and legal set of problems, but we've, we've got the right people working on it. And we'll see. You know, we're going to try something. And will it work? I can't guarantee it, but we're going to try it. Hey, we're all out of time for part one. Dave Rubin, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, uh, joining us. We hope to have you back again because there's a whole bunch more stuff we want to talk about. And you sound like mine and Scott's kind of people. Um, but we're all out of time for part one of the main event. Stay tuned for some uh, five minutes of traffic, weather, commercials, and sports. And we'll be right back with you, part two of the main event. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman, president Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I don't talk a lot about uh, real estate or finance on the radio on the main event because uh, most of you guys probably think it's boring and it's more fun to talk about what we all have been talking about. But if you do need financing and you're thinking about one of them reverse mortgage things, you're thinking about making a move, downsize because you're retiring, upsize because you're a millennial and you're uh, tired of living in your dad's basement, um, or if you need to refinance something, you have 855-640-2020. Call me direct, 855-640-2020, day or night, toll free, 855-640-2020. Or you can get us on wccloans.com. And uh, so if you missed the first half, you missed a good first half with Dave Rubin. But uh, in case you missed it, you don't know that uh, I have with me in the studio, Mr. Scott McPhee, my uh, pretty regular sidekick. Scott, welcome back to part two. It's good to be back in the house. All right, cool. So everything's good. So let's talk about so let's talk about some stuff going on this week because there's a lot of stuff going on this week and hopefully we can get to all of it. Um, so uh, now we've got uh, candidates stacking up in the Democratic Party. And I'm really tired of talking about Kamala Harris, so we'll 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 kind of forego that. But is uh is Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz the left Donald Trump, or is he their Ross Perot? Although, in until Ross Perot got out and got back in, he would have been Donald Trump probably. So uh, Schultz became the first lefty to announce an independent run for the White House in 2020, making his announcement on 60 Minutes this week. I will run as a centrist independent outside of the two-party system. Not only the fact that this president is not qualified to be the president, but the fact that both parties are consistently not doing what's necessary on behalf of the American people. Yeah, well, I don't know that 
what makes Donald Trump not qualified? He sure is getting a lot done. He is getting a lot done. I guess it depends on who you are. And ultimately, what makes him qualified is the owner of a coffee uh, chain more qualified than Donald Trump. I'd say one thing we can say about Donald Trump in the two years that he's been there, he has gotten a lot accomplished. So if you want, you know, lower tax rates, if you want uh, some kind of security on the southern border, he hasn't done that yet, but hopefully that's in the works. If you want people being taken out of North Korean hell holes, uh, you know, hostages rescued, uh, pro-life issues brought to the fore. I mean, it goes on and on and on. So th- those, I'd say, would be Donald Trump's qualifications is his track record. He's certainly not afraid to mix it up no. and get things done. And I think, uh, you know, hey, Donald Trump is tend to be a pompous ass at times. and But you know what? What short of that would have gotten any of this stuff accomplished in the in the political environment that we have today? No, and it's 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 amazing. And I, I think about this all the time. How does he hold up under this kind of pressure, Ed? Because, I, I mean, I think I'm a fairly strong individual. I think you are, too. But, I mean... You know, we're talking an, an enormous amount of pressure from a lot of very, very powerful forces that want you to fail. Yeah, would uh, at at this point, if you were in Donald Trump's shoes, at this point, would you just say screw it and walk away? I'm sure there's a part of me that would think that, um, and it's almost like you have to have the mindset of you know I just don't care. I just because Donald Trump's lost a lot of money from this, folks. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the numbers are, but he's lost probably billions doing this. This was not a self-serving thing that he did. It was hugely sacrificial, whether you like him or not. I'm telling you, it was a huge sacrifice on his part. So I've had conversations with people talking about how you know I'd say, hey, you know, Barack Obama was always golfing, and oh, Trump's golfing more than he does. But Barack Obama was golfing with uh, rap stars and movie stars and anybody you know with Tiger Woods, and as opposed to Trump is meeting with foreign dignitaries and Congress people and, and senators. He's, he's using the golf course for what a lot of people use the golf course to make business deals and to, and to, to actually, Hey, this is a, a relaxing backdrop to a business meeting. And uh, of course, uh, someone I talked to said, well, look at all the money he's making off mar lago because he goes to mar lago and they have to staff up with a uh, sit with, uh, with a uh, secret service and have to do that. What's the difference if he was going to to Mar-a-Lago or if he's going to uh, Obama's favorite resort in Hawaii, wherever he's going, we have to do the security anyway. Are we are we trying to demonize him because he has assets? Well, I don't think he's taking any time off at all. To your point, you know, exactly. has he taken any vacations? I don't think I don't think he will either. You know? No, he's this guy's a 24 seven. And then uh, the other thing that uh, Schultz said is uh, both sides consistently letting the American people down. I will agree with that, that the Democrats are so together. They don't care what they what the individual. That's kind of like what uh, Dave Rubin was talking about. The individuals. There's no individual Democrats anymore except for Joe Manchin. You know damn well of the, of the 240 some uh, Democrat Congress people. Some of them believe we need a bo- we need a border wall. Some of them believe in stuff that Trump's doing, but they all stand together shoulder to shoulder and vote whatever Pelosi says. And they're, they're the collective. They're not the, they're not the, uh, you know, they're, they're, Hey, we're Democrats. We're not individuals. So we, this is how we vote. And none of them will step out except for Joe Manchin, as opposed to the Republicans can't get, can't get together to save their lives. And, uh, there's always someone, Hey, can you guys just all stand up for this and not, and not uh, let the let the your hate for Trump. Well, you know, Trump beat me in the primary. Sorry, but it is what it is. We got to move the country forward. You're still representing the people. 
Definitely, yeah. And I think they it's almost like they can't step out of line, Ed, because if they do that, they're gone. I mean, that's the kind of environment we live in. Um, you know, you're, you've got to be one of the lemmings out there or you're just not going to have your office. You're not going to have that nice little office you've got uh, near the Capitol. They're too busy keeping their job. They forgot to do their job. So Schultz has a few things in common with President Trump, like being a billionaire. His net worth is estimated at $3.4 billion and never having held a political office prior to presidential campaign. But if you ask liberals in the media this week, Howard Schultz is not their Donald Trump, the outsider businessman who swoops in and wins the presidency. He's their Ross Perot who splits the vote and costs them the election. Listen to my favorite idiot, Joy Behar on The View. Your entry into this race will guarantee Trump another four years. And I, I know I don't, you're much I don't more, agree with you. I know you don't. I don't agree with I you. Know you don't. And if he runs against a far left progressive person who is suggesting 60, 70 percent tax increases on the rich and a health care system that we can't pay for, I don't know about President that. Trump yeah. is going to get reelected. And no one wants to see him fired more than me. <laughs> and no one wants to see you run more than him. Yeah, well, I don't really think anything intelligent comes out of Joy Behar's mouth anyway. Well, that's true. This guy doesn't strike me as a ball of fire, though, Ed. I mean, he seems like one more kind of boring billionaire guy. And and, and we were talking about this off the air. Unfortunately, it almost seems like you have to be a billionaire to run for president, which is very, very unfortunate. It kind of takes like a lot of people out of the equation. But at the same time, I mean, you also have to have personality and drive, which Trump has. I mean, Trump is a force of personality, to say the least. This guy just seems like... I don't know. It reminds me of uh, who's the guy that ran for governor in, in California? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which one? Cox. Co- we don't oh, even yeah. remember oh, him now, oh, Ed. Oh, that one. It kind of reminds me of that he guy. Didn't, he didn't even run. Oh, well, not really. Uh, yeah, yeah. The exactly the um, as opposed to who we should have had in there. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, you know he his. We read it. We read his bio before before we went on the air to right. get. Hey, where did Howard Schultz come from? And it sounds like he he got a good idea and he built it and built it and built it. And he took a good idea and and I'll give him credit because I didn't because I I was thinking before we went on. He's a Zuckerberg. You know, Zuckerberg's a smart guy, but he came up with an idea. He has some some uh, tremendous intelligence in the computer in the computer world and one idea made him a gazillionaire and uh and i don't know that he understands how america works because there's only room for so many people that can do what what he does as opposed to apparently howard schultz had an idea went to italy saw saw how they do cafes and stuff in uh, coffee shops there and he he came up with it and pushed it and built it built it so i give him i give him credit for that but uh yeah he's not he's not very charismatic and he should recognize from the experience that he has he should recognize um that donald trump is actually the fact that he's saying he, that our president is not qualified I could see people saying that two years ago, but today, I don't think so. Well, the other thing, too, is what about the results of the economy that we're seeing right now? I mean, as a business person, how do you argue with extremely low unemployment across the board? How do you argue with big GDP numbers? How do you argue with stock stock price numbers that have been higher than anything we've ever seen? Uh, how do you argue with that as a business person? Yeah, 304,000 new jobs created last, last month. And the, and, the, uh, and the individual income went up like 3.5% last month. I think it was year over year, but regard, regardless, the numbers speak for themselves. They're, the economy is doing well. On PMS NBC Morning Joe host Joe and Mika 
our favorite people, are swooning over Senator Kamala Harris, Medicare for all, uh, on a daily basis. So they played a little game with Schultz to show people uh, how out of touch he is with regular Americans. How much does an 18-ounce box of Cheerios cost? An 18-ounce box of Cheerios? Mm-hmm. I don't See, need, now here's I, the deal. I don't need, I don't need Cheerios. Here's the deal. Yeah. You ask us. Yeah. Yeah. How, you know, like budgets for the VA. We're yeah. going to ask you questions. That's what they want. I don't need. I don't need Cheerios. I'm sorry. Okay, it's Cereal. four bucks. Yeah. Is it four bucks? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's wow. Great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, hard to hard to believe that. Hey, you know what? We eat Cheerios in my house. Do I know how much they? Are? I would have guessed five bucks, but I don't know. I don't go grocery shopping uh, unless uh, Don forgot to restock my Patron uh, in the freezer. So, um, but here's here's a more here's a more intelligent question. Well, here's here's something that to me meant more than how much is a box of Cheerios that that Mika asked. What qualifies you to be president of the United States? What qualifies me to be president of the United States is my life experience. People are going to think it's my Starbucks experience. Mm-hmm. It's what I've learned along the way. Yeah, on the way to on the way to accomplishing things, you gain great knowledge, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, I mean, again, how does that translate into running a country? I'm not really sure. Um, I thought the Cheerios question was stupid, um, but I didn't. I don't know if I got a really compelling answer from him there, Ed. No, uh, but uh, you know the uh, I you know what I liked about Trump hmm. um, two years ago when they're when they're running um, was really what I drew off of some of the things his kids said at the at the uh, at the uh, convention and talking about how how they learned on job sites they mixed it up they weren't part of country clubs they grew up on job sites and dealing with construction people and su- and superintendents and and i think it was eric it might have been donnie but said hey you know we're just as comfortable behind the seat of a of a of a bmw as we are behind the behind the wheel of a of a john deere tractor that we can that we can drive these things because we work we we were on the job sites working with these because that's how our that's how our dad brought us up and and i like that hey this is this is grassroots ground ground level uh, people that they understand how things get built. They understand, you know, and, and Trump had, had some successes and some failures and some successes and failures. And he built on this, on the successes and repeated those things. And you gain, it's kind of like raising kids, you know, have, have this conversation, raising kids makes you very wise. And I'm not talking about getting them from, from babies to seven years old. I'm talking about getting them to adulthood and past. Because in the process of raising kids to through their teenage years to becoming young adults and becoming self-sufficient, the parents gain some incredible knowledge. Comments on that? Um, well, yeah, as a parent, there's lots of things that go through my head. Obviously, that's the best world, real world experience you can have probably is being a parent and, and holding the, and, and by the way, that job never ends, does it, Ed? No. <laughs> it never and ends. You, and you never <laughs> stop being a parent. You think that once they leave the house, it's over. No, I think it's just beginning sometimes at that point. Yep, uh, but it's not just the media liberals who don't want Howard Schultz to mess up the race for Democrats. It's the regular voters, too. Listen to this guy heckle Schultz at a recent appearance. Don't help elect Trump, you egotistical That's not what a democracy is. Well, we're a republic, so thank you very much. So I want to. I also want to mention that uh, that uh, m- mention this about uh, Elizabeth Warren. Cherokee people, Cherokee tribe, so proud to live, so proud to 
So, you know, I, I bring that up because I'm actually starting to feel sorry for her with all the uh, attention that Kamala Harris has been getting. Uh, you know, it's funny. Did you know she slept with uh, Willie Brown, Kamala Harris? Yeah, I heard uh, Willie Brown came out and uh, and and confessed it. He did. Well, I guess he was 60 and she was 30. I find it interesting that we could have actually, Elizabeth Warren, we could have a Navajo going up against a California hoe. Uh, yeah. And you know what? And, uh, you know what? I think that I think I think that needs to be spread out because so many people are just so so in enthralled by by Kamala Harris's oh well hey she's she's young and she's good looking and she's an attorney and yeah and she slept her way to the top I'm waiting to see who else she, who else she uh <laughs> did to get uh, to get where she's at so I uh, you know, I hear rumors but I'll wait till we uh, have some more uh, information yes, I'll try we, not to... we report you decide exactly so this week she said said something that's worth commenting on She's been Warren's been ranting about the evils of big business for the last six years, and while she's been in the Senate, all of a sudden she likes capitalism. Of course, it's capitalism on her terms. I believe in capitalism. I see the wealth that can be produced, but let's be really clear. Capitalism without rules is theft. Encouraging companies to build their business models on cheating people, that's not capitalism. What I believe is capitalism with serious rules and that means rules where everybody gets a chance to play yeah my opinion i could go i could talk on this for hours um capitalism with rules the more rules that the government puts on capitalism the more people get cheated and i'm not talking about business owners everybody because the more rules that we have to work around because it's really it's real easy business owners want to make money in order to make money, we have to. We can't do it all ourselves, so we have to. We have to build a business, and we have to hire people to help, and we have to get the job and get the job done. And then expansion, making more money, requires getting more people involved. And the bottom line is, if you're not providing a service or a great product to your to the public, they don't come back. You don't make any more money. I think the word she's talking about is regulation, isn't it, Ed? That's isn't exactly, that another word for what she's talking that's about? That's exactly it. And, and again, what do we see? What do we attribute to the success of the current economy? Well, a big part of that is to reduce regulations on businesses like you and me that basically make this whole thing work. You know, without small businesses, there's no nothing. There's no cops and there's no firefighters. And trust me, we've we've all got plenty of regulations as it is. We don't need any more. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm okay with I'm okay with regulations that make sense. Yeah, but. You know what they did to my industry, the mortgage industry, is criminal. And uh, and after to 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 save the world from the problems that were created by government regulation, all the subprime stuff that no one in their right mind would have wanted to do. No banks, no mortgage companies, no investors would want to do that. They were forced to by uh, by Senate Banking Committee and the House Financial Services Committee getting a little bit too involved with Fannie Mae. And uh, forcing the mortgage industry to sell their product because we're looking out for the little guy. The little guys don't qualify to buy a house. So hey, if at first you don't succeed, lower the regulate, lower the lower the rules. Make make the hey, hey if you can't jump over that high high jump six feet, lower it down to three feet so everybody can get over it. We don't have to make anybody look like they can jump faster or jump jump higher than the other one. So anyway, that's just my rant. So let's talk about uh, what the other thing that everyone's talking about is uh, political consultant Roger Stone, a friend of uh, Donald Trump for 40 years, who is one of his many temporary 2016 advisors, has become the latest in a string of Trump associates to be caught in a special counsel Robert Mueller snare. 
indicted on seven counts ranging from obstruction to making false statements to Congress to witness tampering to witness tampering. Stone is another figure being used by the investigation to shape public opinion about the legitimacy of Trump's win in 2016. And uh, obviously just in time for 2020. And you know what? This to me, I hear people say, oh, here's another person being indicted by Mueller on part of Trump. That none of this has anything, not one damn thing to do with Trump or the Trump campaign or anything. They're just indicting people to say, hey, look at all the good that the Mueller investigation is doing. The indictment against Roger Stone includes the following information. Stone repeatedly discussed WikiLeaks in 2016 with Trump campaign associates and had conversations with others in the campaign about emails stolen from Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta before WikiLeaks posted them. See a problem with that? Uh, yeah, because the, the problem is these crimes happen after the investigations already like started, you know, that he lied to Congress. Okay, so so there was no crime before he testified before Congress. You know what I mean? They they sort of like invent the crimes as they're going along with these investigations. Yeah, but they're, but they're saying, hey, he discussed WikiLeaks in 2016 with Trump campaign. Why wouldn't so what? you? Why wouldn't you? Is it, hey, there's something in the news or something that people are talking about and they discuss it together. Okay, next it says he told senior campaign official that he knew WikiLeaks had obtained damaging documents on Hillary Clinton, the officials believed to be Steve Bannon, uh, based on emails between him and Stone. So, that doesn't mean that they stole them. That, hey, hey, we know WikiLeaks is doing this. Why? What else would they do? Says WikiLeaks released the hacked Democratic National Committee emails in July 2016. Says after they released the, Democra- the, the emails in July 2016, a senior Trump official, again, probably Steve Bannon, was directed to contact Stone about additional releases and what other damaging information WikiLeaks had regarding Clinton campaign. Is that an issue? No. They're, hey, they're talking about what might be coming out. Okay. I mean, weren't all of us Republicans talking about what kind of October surprise is, is the, are the Democrats going to pull on Trump? Right. And they pulled out that, uh, that hot mic moment and that was about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this, this stuff's like irrelevant. But okay, the rest of the indictment addresses Stone's false statements to Congress about his WikiLeaks conversations with New York radio host Randy Credico and with the conservative writer and conspiracy theorist Jerome Corsi, who rejected a plea plea offer from Mueller last year. Stone says he did not give House Intelligence Committee false statements at his 2017 hearing, but he did forget about some emails and text messages he was talked about. And I guess you know, hey, you didn't you didn't tell the whole truth. The whole truth, you left some stuff out. Eh, you know, he testified for like four and a half hours. I can imagine there was something left out. The indictment says Stone carried out a prolonged effort to keep Credico from contradicting his testimony before the House Intelligence Committee. During the effort, prosecutors note that Stone reportedly told Credico to do a Frank Pentangeli. Pentangeli, I can't, it's a little bit too Italian for me, you know, uh, of, who is a, a character from Godfather Part Two who lies to Congress. Yeah, I don't know nothing about it. I was just lying when I told you I did. Long story of short, it says Roger Stone knew about WikiLeaks having Hillary and DNC's emails before they were released, and he lied about it to Congress. Yeah, I think that's BS. You know, the, the problem with this, and we'll get to this in a second, but the problem with this is, is the way the FBI rounded this guy up, Ed. You know? Yep. They, I mean... They, they, they stormed his apartment in uh, or his Fort Lauderdale home with automatic weapons and suspiciously CNN was there to capture it all to capture it all. Uh, he was it was all all over TV this week. Uh, Laura Ingram talked to him on Tuesday night. I believe when you're falsely accused of something 
and you say nothing, you say no comment, or Roger Stone was unavailable, most Americans assume you're guilty. The whole purpose of this over-the-top raid on my house, in which they sent in more men than were used to protect our compound in Benghazi, was to paint a picture of me to poison a jury pool it was so ridiculous. as public enemy number one. I, I, it was one of the more ridiculous things, and it was offensive. It was offensive to me. Yeah, think about it. They're, they're going to arrest some guy who said who actually talked to somebody in the campaign about potential emails and they send in they send in the the squad with with machine guns you know it's funny i just read a book about the gulags in the soviet union you know back after, a little after world war ii and i'm thinking when i saw this i thought wait a minute i didn't realize that we lived in the soviet union too ed because this is the kind of crap they did waking up people in the early hours you're, you're catching people off guard the idea is to intimidate you the idea of setting up a cnn crew out there to film this thing you know this was coordinated that's illegal they can't do that that is against protocol i talked to some friends that i know in law enforcement they said you know we've done these kind of raids and you don't have media anywhere close i mean if it's if it's potentially a dangerous situation for one thing you don't want to get shot exactly right um but I, I didn't realize and i'm i'm coming to realize it more and more the fbi what i call the fascist bureau of investigation is really nothing more than the militaristic arm of the democrat party much like the kkk was the military arm of the democrat party after the civil war that's kind of what we're here i mean and if people on the left and on the right aren't outraged about this you've got a problem we, we have a problem because this could happen to you too the democrat the democrats uh, it's kind of what dave rubin talked about but the um but the you know the democrats are focused in on hey another indictment when they should be saying Look what they did to this guy. Right. You know, right. That's, it's, it, could be, it could be any of us. Hey, let's talk. We got like a minute left. Yep. Uh, New York passed an abortion law this, this, uh, this week. Uh, they all cheered about it. And apparently some other states are getting saying that they can, that you can abort babies all the way up until the due date. Uh, this is insane. When my wife told me about this, it almost like this can't be real, right? It didn't seem real that we could actually, we've gotten to this point. It's one of those things that makes me think, gosh, maybe society, we're not even worth saving, Ed. That's how evil, and I've never used this word to describe the left before. That's how evil these people have gotten. Yeah, and I'll just say, you know, they interviewed the, the, the is it the Virginia the governor? Gov yeah. The governor of Virginia who said, well, you know, if a baby's uh, born at that stage and the baby's, uh, you know, the baby's there and uh, they'll resuscitate it. And then the doctor and the and the mom will have a have a conversation or they can have a conversation about it. you got a living human being sitting there. You're going to decide whether we'd kill it or not. It's it's absolutely sick. Any of you guys that think this is a this is a great women's rights thing, you guys got to have your head examined. Hey, anyway, uh, we're all out of time for part uh, part two this episode of the main event. Thanks for listening, Scott. Thanks for joining me. Always a pleasure, Ed. And uh, we'll be back again with you next week. The views expressed on this program are Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number zero one one four seven seven four seven NMLS 9873 and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. Number zero nine three seven three four six.